So good morning. Uh, my name's Nick. Uh, for any visitors, I think I've met most visitors this morning, but um, just to let you know who I am. And, and so today we're talking about a birth that happened 2,000 years ago. And so very few people uh, have such an impact on the world that they're remembered 2,000 years later. Um, very few people actually have such an impact on the world that they're remembered much beyond their lifetime um, or a decade, even a, a century later. Uh, but there was one child born a little over 2,000 years ago um, into a, a royal family line, but of, into relative ex- obscurity who changed the course of history and uh, has in many ways shaped the way we see the world as we know it. Uh, And so I just want to read to you some some quotes from things that were said about this child or the the person, the man that this child grew to be, um, both during his lifetime and after his lifetime. So these are some things said about him. Divine, Son of God, Lord of land and sea, the benefactor and saviour of the whole world. Others said, it's hard to tell whether his birth is a matter of greater pleasure or benefit. We could justly hold it to be the equivalent of the beginning of all things. He has given us a different aspect to the whole world, which would have blindly embraced its own destruction if he had not been born for the benefit of all. Another, another quote is, whereas the providence which divinely ordered our lives created with zeal and generosity the most perfect good for our lives by producing him for the benefit of humankind, sending us uh, and those after us a saviour who put an end to war and established all things. When he appeared, he exceeded the hopes of all who anticipated good tidings. His birth marked for the world the beginning of good tidings through his coming. And, and that word, good tidings, it's just the same word that we translate. Uh, those things are actually written in Latin, so it's not the Greek word euangelion, but it's the same word that we translate to gospel. And so those quotes are about the gospel. And this child was given several different names um, before his life and after his life. Um, But the name that we're most probably familiar with today is Caesar Augustus. Now put up your hand if you're expecting me to say Jesus. (laughs) Most people knew that I wasn't going to say Jesus or or people are reluctant to put up their hands. Uh, Those things were actually said about Caesar Augustus, or his birth name was Octavian, the the emperor who united the Roman world after the conflict that broke out after Julius Caesar's execution or assassination. And so this morning, I want to talk about, uh, just for a little while, a tale of two kings. Um, Now, for Roman historians, the word kings is actually incorrect because they refuse to use the name kings because of their historical story. They called them emperors, not kings. But, But in effect, the Roman emperors were kings. And so this morning, I want to talk about a tale of two kings, of Caesar Augustus, born 63 BC. 63 years ish before the birth of Jesus. And Jesus Christ, born, this is a little bit funny, approximately 5 BC, which is a bit funny when you think that BC means before Christ, um, that Jesus was born about five years before Christ. But um, that's pretty close hit for 2,000 years worth of dating. So before Jesus in the Roman world, there was Caesar. And this is the same Caesar that we read about, that Steve read this morning in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And so the entire Roman world at Caesar Augustus' time was, was the largest empire that has ever existed on the face of our earth. 
that, that covered an enormous territory from halfway up the British Isle all the way across most of Asia um, to the mountains just before India, that, that Caesar Augustus ruled an enormous amount of territory. And so the context of Luke's gospel, of Luke's good tidings about Jesus, is Caesar Augustus's absolute and total rule. And so in this context, this context in which uh, Luke says, in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree and everyone had to follow it, the next verse says, um, or verse 3 says, and everyone went to his own town to register. In those days, if Caesar said something, it happened. And so the context of Jesus' birth in the midst of the Caesar Augustus story is a subversive story. It's the story of an alternate king. It's the story of an alternate gospel or good tidings. It's the story of an alternate way of seeing and understanding the world. It's the story of an alternate way of being in the world. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, uh, the prophet prophesied about the coming of Jesus um, with these fairly famous words especially if you're familiar with the um, Handel's Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so the birth of Jesus, the one that this prophecy foretold, is the birth of a rival king, a rival emperor, a rival lord in the midst of Augustus Caesar's empire. One in whom the government will be on his shoulders that his government will increase beyond end, that his rule will be everlasting. And so this is why uh, in the gospel stories that King Herod, who was a vassal king of of Caesar, he was allowed to be king because Caesar let him be king and, and he paid a lot of money to Caesar to be allowed to be king. This is why Caesar, uh, sorry, why Herod tried to have Jesus eliminated before he escaped infancy. This is why Jesus and his family uh, Joseph led his family to Egypt as refugees to escape Herod who, who ruled under Caesar because Herod understood the impact of the subversity of the Jesus story, of the, the, the prophecy about this child was a rival king to the established order. And so in Luke 2 um, verse 10, the angels also proclaimed who this child was. Uh, they say, it says, well, but an, the angel said to them, that's the shepherds, do not be afraid, I bring you good news or, or good tidings, to use the words uh, that we've used, of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And so this angelic announcement is that the moment that Isaiah prophesied in chapter 9 has come now in the birth of Jesus. 
that into the world of Caesar, the counterfeit saviour, the true saviour has been born. That there's glad tidings of great joy for all people in the name of Jesus. And so Jesus' birth, this, this good news of great joy, this glad tidings of great joy, doesn't just present a, an alternate king, it doesn't just present a, a true saviour, but it also presents an alternate gospel to the gospel of Caesar. Because Caesar was spoken of in gospel terms. He is spoken of as exceeding the glad tidings or the good news that was expected. And, and so Augustus Caesar has a gospel. He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar and he reunited the Roman Empire after his assassination. Augustus was the epitome of power and authority and he ruled an enormous lab of the world. And so as we've already said from those quotes, he was spoken of as Lord and Saviour. He was spoken of as the one who established peace. But he was the kind of Lord that was a brutal dictator. He ruled as Lord through military power and might. He was the kind of saviour who saved those in power at the expense of those who were not. The kind of peace he brought was the peace that comes through crushing all opposition. Caesar is the kind of person that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 20 verse 25 when he says this to his disciples you know that the rulers of the gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them this is the kind of lord that caesar was one who ruled over and exercised authority over and so caesar is one kind of king uh, but caesar wasn't the last caesar not, not in the history of rome there were many emperors that came after him but I'd want to suggest to us this morning he's not the last Caesar in our world either that that Caesar established or or followed on from others really he didn't establish it but but Caesar presents a kind of rule a kind of power a kind of authority a kind of savior a kind of peace that is a worldly shaped ruler savior peace that, that there's little Caesars, and I don't just mean the pizza restaurant, that there are little Caesars that have continued throughout history and that, that there's been plenty of other people that may not have been spoken of in these high Latin terms of, of Saviour and Lord of earth and sea and, and, and benefactor of the whole world, but, but there's little Caesars throughout history and throughout the world today that would stand up and say, hey, I'm the one that can bring you peace. I'm the one that can bring you salvation. In some countries, it's more Caesar-like and they come through with their warlords and try and uh, gain power by authority. In other countries like our own, the, the little Caesars campaign at polling booths to get us to, to vote for them and they present themselves as, in essence, they're, they're humble enough or wise enough not to say, I'm the saviour of the world, vote for me. But, but that's what they're presenting themselves as, in a sense. They're presenting themselves as a little Caesar to rule the world. It's, it's the tale of the Augustus Caesar type king, of counterfeit saviours. And I'm not in that saying that all politicians are evil and wrong and we should abdicate. But, but it's about power, authority and rule and crushing our opposition. And so Jesus provides us an alternative to Caesar. 
He's not just spoken of as one in, in Isaiah 9, of, of one who the government will be on his shoulders, but he's spoken of as a wonderful counsellor, as an everlasting father, as a, as a prince of peace. In Isaiah 42, later in that same uh, prophetic book, the prophet has this to say about um, Jesus who was yet to come. Isaiah 42, verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not stuff out, snuff out, stuff out, snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. And so, so Jesus is prophesied as, as a king, as a ruler as a wonderful counsellor, as a prince of peace, as an everlasting father, but, but completely opposite to Caesar. He doesn't come to crush opposition. He doesn't come to overthrow the world in military ways. He doesn't even crush a bruised reed. He doesn't even snuff out a smouldering wick. Jesus comes gently. He comes saying words of, love your neighbour as yourself. He comes saying words even in, in complete opposite spirit to, to the Caesars of this world, love your enemies. In Matthew 20, Jesus identifies the type of ruler that Caesar is in verse 25. And then he goes on, in, in verse 25 he says that, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. He says, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus came not to uh, be served, but to serve. Caesar's Life existed with seeking to enforce others to serve him. But Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Caesar's life existed in taking others' lives so that he would be king, in taking ransom for others to prop up his rule and reign. But Jesus came to give his life as the ransom for others. And so Jesus came in, in opposite methodology to, to Augustus Caesar. But he also says to his followers that we should behave like that as well, that we should seek to serve, not be served. That we should seek to give, not in exactly the same way as Jesus, uh, for most of us, but, but we should seek to give our life for the sake of others. And so uh, this week I was really encouraged, just I don't want to move on from that point of service and it's a, a little bit of an aside, but, but last week I mentioned that um, because of the beautiful rain we've been having, there's been a bit of a, a weed issue uh, sprout up a, around our building and, and I just asked last week if someone could uh, help us out with that and I know they don't like credit but I'm going to give it anyway. Um, David and Sue came in the very next day and cleared out all of the weeds from our property and um, sprayed the little ones. Um, and the same day, um, Carl and Craig and, and Lockie and... Um, Tash, we're in here clearing out the storeroom so that we can um, 
have kids church in three rooms next year because of our growing kids church. Uh, last night, Christy and I were on the way home um, from being served by Tony, looking after our children um, while we could go out and have some time together. And we drove past and Christy said, oh, the car park light is on at church. Um, so I thought, oh, we better go back and, and check that out. Um, and Neil was here and Neil had spent, I don't know how many hours, but, but cleaning up all around our building. And so our building looks fantastic as we come into it this morning. And so I want to honour those people because I think it's important to honour people as they embrace the way of life that Jesus taught us to live. That we come not to seek to be served, but to serve. And I know that there are many other people that do things unseen and it's not just about what we do for church but what we do for our community. But I just wanted to honour those people this morning. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. He is the complete opposite to Caesar or to put it in other terms, Caesar is the Antichrist. I don't mean like the one and only. He is the one who is anti to all that Jesus stands for. And so in the story that, Je- uh, that Jesus, and you're good Steve, but I'm not going to say that highly, the story that Steve read of Jesus' birth this morning in Luke chapter 2, we read this, this bit about where the angels come, and I've already read a little bit of it, but the angels come in Luke 2, 8 to 14, the angels come to declare the birth of Jesus. And uh, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. That was the sign to the shepherds of who the Lord of all the universe, the Savior of all the world, the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, the King of Kings, the sign of who He was, was that He would be a baby wrapped in cloths and laid in a cattle trough. And so in this tale of two kings, we have the obvious, manifest, earthly power of Caesar Augustus in his Roman palace, ruling essentially all the known world. And at the other end of the things, there's this angelic announcement that the the true saviour of the world will be born and has been born in this obscure backwater town of Bethlehem. Yas is a, a thriving city compared to what Bethlehem was. In this backwater town of Bethlehem, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a trough. And so in this tale of two kings, we, we, would, uh, we would have to probably forgive people if you were asked who is the king to follow in this day and age that they might say well I'm going to put my money on Caesar because he looks like he's got this ruling thing down. In the tale of two kings there's one with obvious power in a worldly sense, one for whom Caesar's world had no room or no time. There's one appearing strong and glorious and one appearing weak, vulnerable and humble. 
And so this is the heart of Christmas, that the divine Son of God came not in a worldly display of power and authority like Augustus Caesar, and not in the fullness of his heavenly glory, but as a baby born to low-class parents in a backwater town with no room for him, so that he was put in a feed trough. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave up the glory of heaven to be born to the lowliest of low, so that he might be Emmanuel, God with us, and reconcile us to God through his life, death and resurrection. And so the same dynamic exists today. There are, as I say, little Caesars in the world that look powerful, that are visible, that seem strong and appealing in a worldly sense. And at times the good news of Jesus, the church, the faithful can seem but a faint whisper in the world. It can sometimes feel like, in, in essence, that Jesus and, and his followers and the church is being snuffed out. That we're just a, a hovel of people in a little backwater town and, and that the true power uh, in Australia, in a sense, is 50 kilometres that way or, or, or in a worldly sense that we're just not really, that Jesus' name just isn't what it used to be, perhaps. So sometimes this dynamic exists today between the manifest, clear, kind of worldly power and, and what seems like the humble kind of, oh, is it really all it says it's going to be Jesus' story? And so the shepherds, it says in verse 15, it says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. The shepherds did not rush off to Rome and go, let's go and fall down at Caesar's feet. Let's go and worship that manifest earthly power. Let's put our trust in Caesar. They said, let's go to Bethlehem and see what God has done. Let's go and worship at the feet of the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. The story of, of Jesus' birth tells us that things are not always as they appear. That there may be things that look powerful that are not. There may be things that look humble and insignificant that happen to be the most powerful and significant thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe. They didn't rush to Rome they rushed to Bethlehem. They, they answered the question as, as people who were living in the power of Augustus Caesar where he said, if, you ju- if I say jump, you jump. But they answered the question of who is your king essentially with saying, our king is Jesus. And so the, the Christmas story, the story of Jesus' birth, afresh challenges us to answer the same question if there's a tale of two kings, if there's a tale of, of little Caesars and there's a tale of, of uh, though we know not still a baby, babies born in mangers, the, the Christmas story challenges us to answer the question, where do we rush? Who is our king? Do we rush and fall at the feet of the little Caesars of this world? Or do we rush to Bethlehem to see what God has done? For the past 2,000 years, these 
two almost, well, two contemporaries, but different ages at the same time, these two contemporary historical figures have posed a choice. It's a choice about who will serve, who will worship, but it's also a choice about how will we live our lives. Will we live our life in the way of Caesar, seeking personal gain, personal power, personal benefit at the expense of others? Or we will, will we live our life in the way of Jesus? In Jesus we have not just a saviour, but a choice, an opportunity to see the world differently. A choice to be different in the world as well. And so this morning as we uh, come to our final carol to worship God in, as we come to reflect... Uh, one last time on the significance of this event in which Jesus, gave, Jesus was given birth into this world, this event where Emmanuel was, was birthed, God with us was birthed. I want to leave you uh, with the question, who is your king?